Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. more games over the next five years matt rule or ron rivera that was a question posed yesterday afternoon on wilson and parcel mac and bone got into it this morning so i thought why not i'll, I'll at least chime in here on sports radio fnz kyle bailey back with you coming up in 20 minutes joe ovius uh, afternoons the og joe ovius joe Gilio, three to six 99.9 the fan in raleigh we'll talk to joe about north carolina's decision to send the students home yesterday what that means for college football we'll talk about the acc schedule and we'll get his thoughts on the absolute utter collapse by the carolina hurricanes last night in game four of their playoff series with the boston bruins they were looking to tie up that series two games apiece they took a 2-0 lead into the final period and then <laughs> things just went to hell uh, or, or as Rod Brendamore put it, everything that possibly could go wrong did as Boston scored four unanswered goals in under seven minutes and uh, took the game four to three, stunning Carolina Hurricanes fans last night. So uh, Preppy, by the way, in studio with us this morning, sitting in uh, for Smoke, who is continuing his education. He's out there in class right now. He'll join us coming up in just a bit. We got to do a thing now on Tuesdays, I guess, where when Smoke gets here from class prep, He's got to tell me what he learned today. Yeah, definitely. We have Give to, Give you right? a history lesson on what he learned, for sure. I don't even know what class he's taking this morning. <laughs> so when he gets in, I think on Tuesdays and Thursdays when Smoke gets back from class, we got to make him tell us what he learned. It's only going to help him. Because if he can regurgitate what he learned, he's going to retain it more easily. Exactly. Right? Yeah, so, it'll help him a lot, for sure. I think so, too. So we got smoke later in the show. And again, Joe Ovius coming up in 20 minutes. Uh, now, admittedly, I actually didn't catch what Mac had to say. Prep, fill me in. When Mac and Bone weighed in this morning, did Mac go with Matt Rule winning five more games over the next five years than Ron Rivera? Of course. Of course he did. He right? then told me that Matt Rule's a better coach than Sean McDermott, but we don't need to go there yet. Either. Oh, but no, we're going to go there. We'll, we'll, we'll go there in just a second. <laughs> so Mac said yes. I'm shocked. This is my shocked face. T-Bone said yes. Yes. No? Okay. They also both said yes. yes. And I can kind of see why. They kind of took it more as Washington's the most dysfunctional NFL franchise out right now and has been for a long time. So they took it as more anybody's better than them. 
sort of thing. I and the thing is, like philosophically, they're not wrong about that. Yeah. That's why I would go until mm-hmm. we see that the Washington Football Club or whatever they're going to be called moving forward, you know, is anything but cursed, you know, and is anything but what we've become accustomed to over the next twenty years. My default is to go with anybody but that team. Yeah, exactly. You know, except maybe the Browns or Jets, then it might be debatable. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I'm going to go with anybody but that team. I, I do think that Ron Rivera brings to that club exactly what they need, and that's a culture builder because they have been devoid of culture up there. In fact, they've had a pretty nasty culture up there for years, apparently, after all the reporting from the Washington Post and a lot of things that apparently weren't in that report. It hasn't been good. So he's got a lot of work to do up there. He really does. And this isn't for those that would uh, and probably will accuse me of some sort of Panther homerism or bias here. It's not that I'm guaranteeing that Matt Rule is going to be in the NFC championship game two years from now. It's that I don't trust Washington so long as Dan Snyder's at the helm. Exactly. I mean, you, when you when it comes to professional sports prep, I, I think you might agree with this. It's all about your big three and the NFL specifically your big three, your owner, your GM, your quarterback or your big four. Actually, your coach, your quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you've got alignment, you know, with competent people who are on the same page you're probably going to win more games than you lose. Washington doesn't really have that still. They made a really nice hire with their team president, Jason Wright, a couple of days ago. We'll see how that goes. I think Ron is is good at what he does, but, you know, Ron is not exactly Bill Belichick. Yeah. You know, he's a good coach. I don't know that he's a great coach. And you have one of the worst owners in the modern history of of, of NFL football in Dan Snyder. So pardon me, you know, if if I'm not going to jump on the skin side. Now, I'm saying that while also understanding that David Tepper has not proven anything on the football side as an owner yet. Marty Herney's still in place as the GM with the Panthers, much to the chagrin of a lot of this fan base. And Matt Rule has a hell of a lot to prove. So then you factor in the quarterbacks. Well, you got, what, Dwayne? I I love the Alex Smith story. But I'm going to need to see Alex Smith back out on a football field before I truly believe that this is the greatest comeback story in the history of football. Would you agree? I would totally agree with you. Okay, yes. so I, I got to see him back on the field. So for now, it's Dwayne Haskins. Like, that that's their quarterback up there. Dwayne Haskins or Kyle Allen? I like the Teddy Bridgewater combo. I like the Teddy Bridgewater option a bit better than Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen. For sure. So for with all that said, you know, Washington doesn't have a Christian McCaffrey. I love Darius Geis coming out of the draft a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's safe to say the Panthers dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> yeah. And and I was uh I'm glad that they didn't heed my advice when it came to Darius Geis who was just released by the Panthers or the, the Redskins a couple of weeks ago after a very the football team. Yeah, that's going to be hard. <laughs> I mean that's that's 34 years of habit. That's going to be hard, but yeah, I mean Darius Geis was released about what 10 days ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, after reports of of him brutalizing his girlfriend in DC, just horrible horrible reports. So, you know, they, they don't have a Christian McCaffrey. I don't know why, but they have some pretty good defensive players. Obviously, you know, they, they did well for themselves in this year's draft. But I just, I have a hard time being optimistic about anything surrounding that organization until you see the proof in the pudding. Again, I know I'm biased when it comes to the Panthers. I get that. I think Matt Rule's a solid coach. I think Teddy Bridgewater's a solid quarterback. Christian McCaffrey's the face of this offense. And I think the defensive pieces can come together. Now, again, they'll take their licks this year, but I think the defensive pieces can come together. Who wins more games over the next five years? I got to go Panthers in that discussion. Now, to what you brought up, Matt Rule versus Sean McDermott. Yes, they were talking about that conversation go again. I think I was out for that one because uh, Sean McDermott got extended a few days ago for his contract in Buffalo. And we brought up during the break. I was just like, well, you know, I'd rather be in the bill situation than the Panthers right now. And Matt Mac literally said word for word. Well, not coach wise. I would take rule over McDermott any day. And I'm like, <laughs> are, wait, are you serious? What? Like, 
I don't know. I just think that that guy is literally the definition of a culture builder. Sean McDermott, he changed everything up in Buffalo from the mindset of everything. So I think that's what you hope that Matt Rule is. Sean McDermott's made the playoffs two out of the first three years in Buffalo whenever they had Tyrod as their quarterback before that. So I don't know, man. I just I, that's it's it's biased for me because I'm a Bills fan, but I just don't see the argument at all, honestly. I I had my first like lengthy conversation with Sean McDermott about mm, five months ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he came on uh, my, my podcast with Roman Harper. Roman and I host a podcast. And Roman will be in studio with us in about an hour. But uh, I had a lengthy conversation for the first time with Sean McDermott on that podcast. I came away really impressed. Like, I, I knew about Sean McDermott. I'd seen him around, you know, a couple of places. He listened to the clips. But getting to talk to him, like a lengthy, real 40-minute conversation, mm-hmm. was really illuminating. Yeah. Okay? And, and that guy is super impressive. So, to your point, you're hoping that Matt Rule is... Sean McDermott, possibly even more. Yeah. And he's showing you early signs that he very well could be. Mm-hmm. But there's no way you could, you yeah. can't say that you'd take Matt Rule over Sean McDermott right now because Matt hasn't proven anything yeah. in the NFL. It is that simple. It's much like the, the Washington football club logic. Until they prove you otherwise, you can't pick a team like that. You can't go with Matt Rule over Sean McDermott until he actually coaches in a single game in the exactly. NFL. So show me something, and then uh, then I'll start you know jumping in that fight saying, well, yeah, Max ought to something here. I take Matt. No, you can't do that yet. Plus, McDermott is really impressive. You know, I don't. I'm not. The, I'm not high on Josh Allen. Yes. I'm not super high on Josh Allen. But the way they build out the rest of that roster. Could make Josh Allen look pretty damn it good. It could yeah. make Josh Allen look pretty good. I mean, you they have arguably two of what? The three best corners in the league? Yeah. I mean, in, in Tredavious White and Stephon Gilmore. I mean, that's the, the defensive side of the football and, and drafting Edmonds and everything else. They've, him and Brandon Bean. Have, I, I realize that a lot of people out there listening hate this because I'm giving kudos to, to Bill or to Preps <laughs> Bills. But they're doing. I love it. Keep going. But they're doing what we hope the Panthers do in building around Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. I mean, I, I do think that's okay to say out loud. I mean, I, I hope one day we're, we're able to you know, ridicule you and talk even more <laughs> trash to you about beating the Bills and maybe even Buffalo falling off the map. But it, it's hard to look at that and say that anything other than that's what the Panthers should be aspiring to build around Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. I just, I, I come on, Mac. You can't go with Matt Rule. Well, Mac's kind of a homer. I don't know if you ever heard him talk about the Panthers before. Has Mac been accused of that before? Yeah, maybe a couple times. Okay. A show, All right, an I'll, hour. I'll, now I'll look into that. <laughs> I, I heard him say that this morning. Mac said, yeah, I don't know if you if you heard, but you know, I'm kind of a homer when it comes to the Panthers. <laughs> no, we know, man. We, we, we get it. It's part of why we love you so much. Exactly. But that is, you know, definitely something that we've we've taken notice of. All right. Um, there was also, speaking of, of the NFL, how gut-wrenching was that story yesterday about Gerald McCoy down in Dallas? I, I realized the Panthers' defense, which, by the way, got after the quarterback last year. I, I mean, say what you want to about the run defense. It was atrocious. The switch to the 3-4 left a sour taste in a lot of folks' mouths. But that, that defense did get after the quarterback. And I'll, I'll say this for Gerald McCoy, too. From a, a media perspective, that guy's a lot of fun to cover because he's... He's unique. He will speak his mind. He's refreshingly honest most of the time. And he's just fun to talk to. You know, he, he's a guy that will give you not just a soundbite, but an interesting soundbite. But, but Gerald McCoy picked the Panthers over Baltimore and over Cleveland before last season because he said he wanted to go somewhere where he could win a title. He was banking on Cam Newton coming back healthy and, and being the Cam Newton of old. Didn't work out that way. So Gerald McCoy leaves. He signs with the Dallas Cowboys in the offseason. And yesterday, ruptured his right quadriceps tendon during the first padded practice of training camp. 
and will undergo season-ending surgery, according to Stephen Jones with the Cowboys. And McCoy was hurt during individual drills and was unable to put weight on his leg after he was examined by the team's medical staff. And before ducking into the locker room, McCoy attempted to uh, take some steps unassisted, but, I mean, just couldn't do it. And then took an MRI, which revealed the tear. And it just, that's one of those things where as we all, we all kind of sift through this COVID pandemic cloud of sports and, you know, trying to find reasons for optimism. That for I'm not a Cowboys fan. I don't care if the Cowboys ever win another game. But seeing Gerald McCoy go through that yesterday was just gut-wrenching for that guy because I do believe he's one of the good dudes in sports. And I hated to see that. So that was some rough news yesterday. Then there was interesting news out of the NFL. Because here we are talking about whether or not there will be college football. We've been operating under the assumption, many of us, that these NFL stadiums would by and large be empty this fall. And most of them, I think, will be. The NFL, several weeks ago, laid out as... And this, by the way, was after... The, uh, the Dolphins team president went on Good Morning America way, way early. Like a week, this prompted Roger Goodell sending out the memo telling teams to not speak publicly about the league's COVID plans or what they were going to do about stadiums. That, that, that appearance on Good Morning America prompted Roger Goodell to send out that memo. Stop talking about this stuff in public. Stop talking about this stuff to the media. Let us handle this in the league office. Then a week later, David Tepper goes on CNBC and tells the CNBC host he he doesn't see why there can't be some fans in the stands this fall. (laughs) So it's been an ongoing conversation. Then the NFL says, well, uh, you know, we're going to leave this up on a uh, leave this up to the teams, you know, state by state basis. Whatever your governor, your state officials, your local public health officials, whatever is being dictated by them should dictate what these teams do about fans in the stands. So that's, that's been still their, their operating procedure here. Now, we know that the, the Washington football club won't have fans in the stands. The California teams won't have fans in the stands, and a few others won't either. Uh, it is interesting, though, that the Washington club won't, but just 30 miles down the road at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, they're still planning on having seven to 10,000 fans in the stands. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs let it be known yesterday that they're going to take that just a little bit further that they are going to allow as many as 22 or as much as 22% capacity. So with a max capacity of 76,000 people in Arrowhead Stadium, that means that their stadium could have more than 15,000 people in attendance as the Chiefs are going to play their first game at home uh, since beating the 49ers in the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs said their plan is to host thousands of fans. Uh, it had been approved by the mayor of Kansas and the city's health and emergency management directors. So locally in Kansas City, They're saying, go right ahead, 22% capacity. We think you can do this. 15,000 people in Arrowhead Stadium. I don't know how many other teams are going to try to do this or if any other teams more specifically will maybe reverse course on some of the plans they've laid out, but I wouldn't be surprised. Again, it's all up to the local politics and the local state and public health officials. And I, I, I threw politics in there because... I mean, there, you'd be, we'd be foolish to think that that's not an element of these discussions and these decisions. It, it is, to an extent. I mean, look no further than high school football. You know, the breakdown of which states are playing high school football and which aren't. Red states are playing high school football. The blue states, by and large, aren't. So there is an element of politics. Nobody's debating that. I think the level of influence of politics and football decisions might be a little bit overstated, but it's certainly an element. So in, in a state like Kansas or in a state like Missouri, apparently, and in Kansas City specifically, they're going to go 22% capacity at Arrowhead Stadium. And it makes me wonder, you know, what the Panthers will do when it's all said and done. By the time week one rolls around, 
Will David Tepper want to do something similar? You know, the, the capacity for Arrowhead is pretty similar to Bank of America Stadium, give or take a couple of thousand. Will Bank of America Stadium see 22% capacity this fall? I'll tell you this, if they do, I bet people will go. Some will. I Actually, Prep, I think if they put 14, 13,000 in Bank of America this fall, I wouldn't be surprised if you get that many showing up each week. I think you'll get the max capacity at every stadium. I now. think you probably I really will. will. I agree with you. I think there are a lot of people out there that are more than willing to go into a stadium right now. And these states and localities that are going to go with, you know, limited capacity, I think you'll see it fill up to 13, 15,000, whatever it looks like. And Kansas City is going to do that. We'll come back. We'll talk to Joe Ovius, 99.9 The Fan. He hosts Afternoons. We'll talk Canes. What a collapse last night in Game 4 against the Bruins. North Carolina sending students home from campus after a COVID outbreak. What does that mean for college football? We'll talk about it next with Joe Ovius here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ, Kyle Bailey with you. Coming up on the lunch hour, Roman Harper, our boy Roman Harper back in studio about 40 minutes from now. We got a bunch to get to with him, including a story they told on the Panthers rewatch party on Saturday about Luke Keekley knocking off Roman Harper's eye flap, literally the flap on his eyeball, during the 2015 NFC Championship game. Rome back in studio in 40 minutes, but first... Well, we talked to our buddy Joe Ovius, 99.9 The Fan. Weekdays, the OG, he's back with us on the Technicom Hotline. Joe Ovius, how are you, buddy? What up, Kyle? I'm a little depressed about the Carolina Hurricanes, but somehow, someway, we will persevere. Dude, what happened last night? A 2-0 lead going into the final period, and then, what, chaos? You remember, you played Mike Tyson's punch-out back in the day, right? Yeah. You and I the same age. Yeah. All right. So, you remember the, uh, remember the first guy you play, Glass Joe? Yeah. Yeah, that was the Canes last night. <laughs> um, I mean, that, I mean but that, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. The thing about the Carolina Hurricanes, they know this, we know this. They're not as good as the Boston Bruins, okay? There's a reason why the Bruins were the best team throughout the regular season and the Carolina Hurricanes were on that bubble to make the playoffs in the first place. They deserve to be there, don't get me wrong, but there's a line of demarcation in terms of talent level between what the Boston Bruins are and the Carolina Hurricanes. Maybe the Canes will get there with Rod Brindamore over time. they got a lot of young talent like Sebastian Ajo. Andre Sveshnikov has that ankle injury. I'm sorry, he's unfit to play. Mm. He's got a boot on his foot. Um, They can get there over time, but they're just not at that point. That doesn't mean they can't win a series, though. And I think, Kyle, the thing that bugged me last night was they were doing the things that the Canes were good at, puck possession, being opportunistic, Marty Natchez whiffed on a on a goal that would have made it three nothing, and I think that would have been the the icing on the cake, and we would have been talking about an even series going into Wednesday's four o'clock faceoff. But the minute James Reimer made a mistake, you could just tell they were like, "Man, oh no, here it comes!" And the Bruins took advantage of it, and that was a wrap. Four goals in six minutes, dude. That is a sign to me that they were just glass jawed. And this series is a wrap. Uh, okay, that, that was my follow-up. So you think this thing's cooked? It's over. Oh, it's good. Yeah, well, see, here's the thing. And I, I again, it, you and I both know that we have to be careful about how we talk about the mentality of players. We're not in their position, yep. right? And I'm very, I very much despise when we sit here and we talk about teams quitting and everything else. However, this is a unique situation. And being in a bubble away from your family, 
No returning home to reset. No home crowd. We saw this play out in the qualifying series with the Rangers. Once they went up 2-0 in a best of five, the Rangers are like, man, do we want to do this? We got the number one pick potentially. Let's just pack up and go. We almost saw this last night with the Coyotes, too. I mean, they got ripped yesterday afternoon. And Rick Tockett, the head coach, openly said, look, in this environment, you might just want to go home. And that's the mentality that I'm worried about with the Carolina Hurricanes going into tomorrow night's matchup. Down 3-1 in any other situation, hey, man, we've seen some wild things happen. But here in the bubble, it wears on you. And I'm not quite sure that the Carolina Hurricanes have that in them to extend the series. I'm with you. Joe Ovius, 99.9 The Fan in Raleigh. He's with us on the Technicom Hotline. Speaking of bubbles... Kind of. Uh, I would love Joe Ovius's perspective on what happened in Chapel Hill yesterday because that decision to uh, to reverse course and to go full remote learning took a lot of folks right into a conversation about college football. What do you think? Who could have foreseen a college campus filled <laughs> with teenagers and early 20-something behaving in such a way? I am shocked, Kyle. Hopefully your text line can pick up on the sarcasm on that one. Yeah. Um, look. UNC is not alone. I hate it for UNC because people are going to be – they've had a hell of a last three years, right, with, like, the Silent Sam stuff and, then like, some other business that was going on. So this is just yet another bad headline for them. Uh, but shout-out to the Daily Tar Heel, the student newspaper at North Carolina that called it out for what it was. You knew the risks. You knew what was going to happen. And yet you still insisted that you can get people on campus. Money, baby. It's all about that money. And now that – they were like, oh, my goodness, this is unforeseen. No, no, it was. You just wanted to make sure you could get as much money as you could at the expense of the students, okay? And this is going to play out at other universities throughout the state of North Carolina. What does that mean for sports, man? Look, your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I would say this, though. If you are one of the holdouts in the audience that tried to act as though the student-athlete experience and the normal student experience was one and the same, and it's, you know, they get – they get tuition. They get everything, everything yeah. else. As we're seeing it play out, it has become crystal clear, if it hasn't for you before, that the student-athletes, specifically the college football players, are actual business partners for a multi-billion-dollar sports entertainment industry that the colleges have been easily taking money from, and the players get nothing from it. And now they desperately need them bubbled on campus. What are we talking about here? Well, right? here's my question about that, because I, I think you raised some good points. And, I, and I've insisted since the beginning of this conversation, and I'll keep saying it, if it's not safe to play football, don't play. At the same time, yeah. I, do, I do wonder if this doesn't create that de facto bubble and if it doesn't make it more conducive to play college football. And if these players want to play, and they mostly desperately do want to play, if they're given the option to opt out and remain on scholarship to do the right thing, but these kids still want to play... I mean, do you let them? Because I'm inclined to believe that uh, the ACC and SEC are going to let them. Well, let me ask. Let me ask this. I mean, we, we, oh man, this is classic sports talk radio. Love it. Just trying to like ask questions. To, yeah, oh my goodness. So this is meta, folks. Here's the thing. So you want to listen to the players? I'm down with that. They want to play. Listen to Justin Fields. Oh, okay, fine. Listen to Trevor Lawrence. Oh, okay, cool. Where where was that energy three months ago? Where where when the Pac-12 players talked about what they needed? What ended up happening? We had dopes like, uh, like what's his face? Now I can't remember the guy. Doug Gottlieb, who's out here, he had the tweet, but he's like, oh, and all these demands. Like, now they want the free stuff. They want, they want the Big Ten Network. No, you idiot. 
The reason why they want the Big Ten Network isn't because they're looking for handouts. It's because the families that aren't able to go to the games if you play in front of no fans, they might not have access to the Big Ten Network. They might not be able to afford the Big Ten Network. So sit the conversation out, Doug. And anybody else who buys that kind of crap needs to sit the conversation out. Here's the thing. If you desperately wanted football, look around where they're playing sports. What's the commonality? The NBA's playing. Why? Because the NBA and the Players Association worked out an arrangement through a collective bargain agreement to work out in a bubble. Major League Baseball, warts and all, and unwritten rules, Fernando Testes Jr., all that stuff aside, <laughs> they worked it out. Why? Because the players and the owners have bargaining positions, and they can work these arrangements out. So if you desperately wanted college sports, well, you got to act like the players also have an equal stake in this. It shouldn't be completely up to – if you say, oh, it shouldn't just be up to the, to the universities to decide if the players want to play, okay, well, then you need to give the players more than just, oh, you want to play? Cool. You have to give them other things, too. That's when it becomes a business partnership. And some people – I'll just quote Bomani Jones from ESPN – some people just want to keep the players broke. That's the end game. And if that's your end game, Yang and football, straight up. No, it's a good point. And look, I think some of those things they want are more than reasonable. The, the health coverage, you know, the extension of scholarships, like th- those things are more than reasonable. We can debate the 50% revenue split all day. I don't think it's even likely to be, I don't even think it's possible, you No, know, much less going yeah. to happen. But uh, your point's well taken. What do you think happens? Because I got people asking me this morning, Joe, well, you know, if this happened to Chapel Hill, what's NC State going to do? What's ECU and Duke and Wake going to do? Any thoughts on that? I don't trust any of the numbers. I mean, straight up. Uh, I think uh, it's been a, it's abundantly clear, especially in college sports, that we're more interested in the perception than we are about actually providing transparency. Why do you think the Big Ten is mired in the drama that they're in right now? Because their commissioner, Kevin Warren, has decided that he's going to be one voice. Meanwhile, you got the ADs of Penn State and Minnesota talking about how the presidents, they don't even know if they voted. So I don't trust the numbers that are coming out. I think it's unfortunate that these conferences have put doctors in a position where they have to contradict each other instead of working together to come up with a better plan to get the football players out on the field. That's a problem for me. Now, what's going to happen at State? What's going to happen at Duke? What's going to happen at ECU? Hey, man, I think we're all just kind of headed towards the same reality that we saw at UNC. They're going to send students home because what did you do back when you were at Virginia Tech, Kyle? When you were 18 years old, 19 years old. I can't tell you that on the air. Right. <laughs> next, time we actually get, next time we get to have a hospitality and drink free beer on the ACC's dime, well, then we could talk about those things that you did when you were 18 and 19 years old. Same with me at NC State. So people need to sit down when it comes to shaming college students for acting like college students when the adults, yep. the college administrations, the president, the chancellors, should have come up with a better plan than just bringing people back on campus. And on top of that, the people who are shaming college students that are sitting there also being mad about having to wear a mask when they go to the grocery store, they can also sit the conversation out. We're, none of this is new. We're, this is, we're six months into this, man, and we're still having the same stupid arguments. And now the college at, the college students are the latest ones to be victims of it. Uh, that, that last point's well made, too. Real quick, Joe, i got about 60 seconds. Reese Davis says all conferences should go to a 10-game conference schedule. I'm inclined to agree with him. What do you think? Yeah, give it to me. Get rid of divisions. Especially- oh, no. Did we lose him? Oh, that's the worst. Joe. 
<laughs> we'll have to let him go on that. Now we'll never know. Well, he did say yes. He, he said yes. He did so say he yes. Said, but I wanted yes. to hear the explanation. Damn it! I mean, that's he agreed with me. And Reese, you, you're you're in line with this too, right? Ten game conference schedule. Absolutely. I yes. just it makes all the sense in the world. I'm so that's over. a true conference champion. You don't have Clemson playing Pitt. You know what I mean? You're the well, yeah. two best. They, well, not only that, like this. That's one of those things where far be it for me to you know suggest or or you know try to make the case that I'm that much smarter than John Swafford, you know, or, or conference executives. But I I do think that the those these people aren't infallible. I mean, there are things about college football that doesn't make a damn bit of sense and that's that's always been one of them you know when you have the atlantic and the coastal division you know and, and for, for here's another one what is it texas a&m going to south carolina i think for the first time ever how does that happen mm-hmm. how does that happen i mean texas a&m hasn't been in the in the conference that long but the first time ever i mean you you've got you got situations where you know with the divisional structure in the acc you've got you know for instance florida state going to miami once every 12 years I mean, you've got you've got Virginia Tech going to Death Valley or Clemson going to Blacksburg once every 12 years as it stands right now with one crossover divisional opponent and one rotating divisional opponent. Play more conference games. You've got a broken structure. You want to give people a reason to want to have to be there every single week moving forward in this new climate. That's how you do it. Stop playing the Savannah States. I mean, you, you they've got to stop doing that. It doesn't help anybody. All due respect to the Woffords, the Furmans, the Citadels, they're going to have to make it work on their own. It, it's just going to have to be that way, I think, anyway. And I think Reese Davis is a 1,000% right. That dude's been on point lately. He's been all over it. We'll come back. We'll tell you who balled out. And there was a controversy in baseball last night that is so stupid, it's bewildering. I'll tell you next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Kane is in the building. Hurry, <laughs> way down to- 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Newton running. Newton gets to the corner. Cam down the sideline. Cam Newton has a taste it. Still on his feet. Cam Newton. Touchdown, Carolina. What a play. In your life have you seen anything like that? Let's do it. Let's see who balled out last night. And normally, it's Smoke leading us off. But Preppy is leading us off this time. Prep, what you got for me? All right, I got to start with my guy, Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville. Yeah. 57 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Completely, you know, kept the Jazz in that game. I find the Nuggets to be one of the best teams in the league right now. And I think that they're going to need a lot out of Donovan Mitchell. Next one, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Luka Doncic. 42 points in his first playoff game last night. And uh, guy balled out. I want the Clippers to lose so bad because I don't like them. So Luca is my second of who balled out. Right, I'm going with the Seeger brothers. And and last night was really cool. I already knew that you know the the Seeger brothers matchup was going to be fantastic, and it was a really really special thing to look forward to because even though it's happened plenty of times in the past, it's not that common that uh, you, you get brothers going head to head in Major League Baseball. But uh, Coria and Kyle Seeger last night, Charlotte's own, kind of, you know, the Northwest Cabarrus kids, but still, uh, Kyle Seeger going to UNC Charlotte, uh, their parents were unable to attend the, the game at Dodger Stadium, obviously, for their first major league matchup against each other, but the brothers gave the entire family something special to remember last night. The Seegers became the first siblings in 19 years to homer as opponents in the same game, and Corey's Los Angeles Dodgers rallied for an 11-9 win over his older brother Kyle and the Seattle Mariners. It was the 10th time in Major League Baseball history 
that opposing brothers went deep in the same game. Again, 19 years ago was the last time it happened, June 7th, 2001, when Felipe and Cesar Crespos did it in a game between the Giants and the Padres. And for good measure, I'll throw in Luka Doncic as well. He dazzled last night. In his first career playoff game, Doncic finished with 42 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds, and had the number 7 seed hanging right with the Clippers for much of the night. His 42 points were the most in a playoff debut in NBA history and the Clippers knocked around Doncic a little bit the 21 year old superstar who led the NBA in triple doubles whenever they could uh, he never stopped coming back at him though but late three-pointers by Patrick Beverly and uh, Markeith Morris finally turned Dallas back around and Kawhi Leonard had 29 points and 12 rebounds and the Clippers got a big boost from the ejection of Chris Stapps Porzingis to beat the Dallas Mavericks 118 to 110 on Monday night in game one of that Western Conference playoff series and that is who balled out. Hit us up, 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line. Uh, hit us up. And I think, by the way, a minute ago, I attributed Kyle Seeger to UNC Charlotte. That was the third Seeger brother. As one uh, one listener just pointed out, and I'm glad he did, Kyle went to, uh, to Carolina. And more people saying, KB, you can't leave out Dansby Swanson. Oh, no, I wasn't going to. I was about to go there because I want to talk dingers. But you're right, Dansby Swanson with a walk-off last night as the Braves come all the way back and beat the Nationals in game one of that series, which has huge NL East implications in a shortened 60-game season. So for you Braves fans out there, I, I didn't forget about Dansby. Uh, that walk-off last night was huge for the Atlanta Braves. But the home run that is most talked about this morning, as it should be, is the home run hit by Fernando Tatis Jr., who is one of the best young players in baseball, one of the very few best young players in baseball, 21-year-old shortstop for the San Diego Padres, okay, has had a hell of a start to his career, and he, he leads Major League Baseball now in home runs with 11 in the first 23 games of this new season. And, and his, I, I hesitate to call it greatness because he's still so young, but his potential greatness was on full display against the Texas Rangers last night. And it led to the type of nonsensical controversy that only baseball can produce at the end of a game. And we're talking about the unwritten rules. And before I could even get to this story, I, I saw a tweet come in from Matt saying, uh, I am so sick of the so-called unwritten rules of baseball. And then he goes on to say, you're a pro athlete making six, seven or eight figures. If you have a crap game, that's your fault. Don't throw softballs that get crushed. Here's what happened. The Padres were up by seven runs. When Tatis stepped to the plate in the eighth inning, they were up seven runs. The blowout of a game. He had already hit one home run on the, on the night. Tatis was sitting on a 3-0 count. Three balls, no strikes for the baseball novices among us. <laughs> Rangers pitcher uh, Juan Nicasio threw a pitch down the middle of the plate. And Tatis did what home run hitters do when a pitcher throws a meatball over the middle of the plate. He crushed it out of the park. He hit a grand slam. And as Tatis was rounding the bases, Texas Rangers manager Chris Woodward was visibly upset. I mean, he was hot. Not at his pitcher for giving up a grand slam, but he was mad at Fernando Tatis Jr. for hitting it over the fence. So the Rangers then hit the next San Diego batter. You, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This, these, as a diehard baseball fan, these are the unwritten rules that, that infuriate me to no end. Okay, there are some unwritten rules of baseball that make a lot of sense. There are some things that I think are entirely defensible, right? But the very next batter, they, they throw behind Manny Machado. 
Chris Woodward's pissed, the manager. He's mad at Tatis for hitting, for crushing basically a batting practice fastball and hits a grand slam. And all of a sudden, instead of uh, what, I mean, 10 to 4 or whatever the score was, it's now 14 to 4. And on top of the manager of the Rangers getting mad, Fernando Tatis, his own manager, didn't even have his back. San Diego skipper uh, Jace Tingler said after the Tatis or after the game that Tatis had a take sign. He'd given him a take sign. He was mad at Tatis for missing the take sign. He gave him a take on 3-0. He said, well, we were blowing him out. That just We gave him the take sign. We weren't trying to, to run up the score. What is this, Little League? <laughs> what are we doing here? I mean, these it, it's like, you know, in the NFL, if a team is up by 24, 28 points and somebody scores a touchdown, stop them. It's your job. That is your job. If you're a pitcher, if you're Juan Nicasio, and you, you, the bases are juiced, and you've got the, you know, at, at that point he wasn't the the sole home run leader, but he was one of the few in Tatis Jr. You got him in a three zero count. You're just going to groove a fastball, and you think he's not going to swing at it? I mean, these these guys do have incentive laden contracts. They are competitive. That guy doesn't care about a seven run lead. He's up there to hit. It's what he gets paid to do. And so you you got, but not just one, but both managers mad at this guy. It, it it's unbelievable that they would go after this guy for doing his job. It is insane. I mean, there, there is no unwritten rule that says you can't swing on a 3-0 count. That's just more of the non... That's that's the stuff that as a diehard baseball fan makes me angry, makes me cringe, and it makes me have to side with everybody else who criticizes baseball for talking about how stupid these unwritten rules are. This guy's up there doing his job. He's leading the major leagues in home runs. Somebody grooves a fastball to a professional hitter, and he swings and hits it out of the park, and both managers are mad at him. Well, we don't want to run up the score. This isn't Dixie League. This isn't Little League. These are the pros. I mean, I'm surprised that I even have to tell these guys that. I don't care about your unwritten rule in this case. He's doing his job. Yeah, maybe he missed your take sign. (laughs) You really want this guy taken as hot as he is? I want him staying hot. He already hit one home run. And you're mad that he hit a second. You're mad that he's doing his job and producing for you. It is truly unbelievable. And then, to make it even better, Trevor Bauer who admittedly I did not like for a long time. Trevor Bauer gave me every reason in the world to dislike him for the longest time. But I have very quickly in the last six months become a very, very big Trevor Bauer fan. And in about the middle of the night, probably about 2 o'clock this morning, Trevor Bauer fired off a tweet that said, Hey, at Tatis Jr., listen up. Number one, keep swinging 3-0 if you want to, no matter what the game situation is. Two, keep hitting homers, no matter what the situation is. Three, keep bringing energy and flash to baseball and making it fun. And four, the only thing you did wrong was apologize. Stop that. That was from Trevor Bauer. Every single one of those points is absolutely true and correct and accurate. Okay, baseball has done a terrible job at various points marketing their stars. Here you have another opportunity with a 21-year-old stud who, again, is now leading the majors in home runs. He's putting on a show. He's giving the fans what they want. He's doing everything right. Oh, God, he missed a 3-0 take sign. Uh, we should suspend him for at least a dozen games, right? No. Trevor Bauer, a major league pitcher, is on Twitter at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, buddy, keep doing exactly what you're doing. This is good for our game. That's one of the reasons that Trevor Bauer has endeared himself to me and to so many people over the past six months because on top of being a, at this point, solid pitcher you know, with, with a lot to offer, but more than anything else, a voice of reason and sensibility in terms of growing the game, and, and getting it back to the point that we're looking at baseball as just being fun. Because these kind of stick in the mud, you know, these people that want to take this game and keep it rooted 
in the 1960s are going to be the downfall of baseball if they don't get rid of them and shed that image. That's insane to me. That not one, He had both managers mad at him last night, Prep, because he did his job and he hit a grand slam. Have you heard anything stupider in your life in sports? Um, well, I do work with Matt Catebone every day, so I have heard stupider. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. But I was saying this to you during the break. You know, I'm not the biggest Major League Baseball guy. I'm a Pirates fan, but I just kind of find it, you know, boring to watch. And that's near here or there. But if I'm watching a game and I see 3-0 and bases are loaded regardless of what the score is, and a guy takes one deep on 3-0, I think that is awesome. Yes. I think that is so entertaining. I think that is a guy that... Wants the game to be more exciting, which is what I'm all about. If the game was more exciting, I'd probably watch more often. Stuff like this happens, I'd watch more often. But for him to apologize, I don't care if both managers were mad at me. I would never apologize for hitting a home run, man. He, never. He's a young guy, so yeah. he he probably feels an immense amount of pressure. He doesn't to want to apologize. anger anybody. Doesn't yeah. want it. Doesn't. Want, and the thing is, you know, he's 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 got baseball pedigree, right? Mm -hmm. His dad, Fernando Tatis, played in the majors. Matter of fact, I think he's one of just a couple of players to hit uh, two home runs in the same inning. You know, so he's got pedigree. He knows how all this works. He's trying to be, for lack of a better phrase, a good soldier and, and trying to, to be a good young player and do all the right things. But he's apologizing for doing his job, for hitting a grand slam. He missed a take sign. Okay, have that conversation with him in private. And don't publicly chastise the kid for doing a thing that literally everybody watching enjoyed seeing. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Like, unless you were, you know, a Texas Rangers fan, Everybody else loved that. It's why we tune in. It's why exactly. we watch baseball. We're there to see the Grand Slam. It's one of the most exciting plays in all the sports. Yep. And you're chastising this guy because of some dumbass unwritten rule in baseball. I, I, even baseball guys don't get this. Most of them. Anyway, I got people writing in saying, KB, I played ball my whole life. And a few years in college at the D1 level, there's no unwritten rule that says you can't take a heart of the plate meatball fastball deep regardless of the score. Yeah, the hitter's supposed to make a pitcher pay for a mistake. Absolutely right. Somebody else saying, I worked in minor league baseball for four years. The unwritten rules are total BS. Uh, more writing in. Tatis is the man. The Rangers need to grow some balls and maybe win a game. Uh, Texter, <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> Texter says, uh, KB, you're dead on. Not only am I swinging 3-0, I'm bat flipping and taking my time around the bases. I would tell Machado to be ready because the next pitch is probably hitting him square in the back. Do your job. More texters. I'm with KB. I coach fast pitch girls travel softball. I teach my girls 3-0 count is a big green light. If it's there, bust it. I don't care what the score is. I mean, God, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we this talking about? This is the major about? leagues, too. I am blown away. And Jace Tingler, by the way, was going back to Texas. Kind of a homecoming for him because he was with the Rangers prior to. I don't care. These are the things that make your game exciting. Stop hurting your own game. Idiots. We'll come back. Lots to get to. Roman Harper, two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champ, everybody's favorite Panther safety. Mine, anyway. In studio next. we got a lot of football to get to. Also, apparently Roman lost his eye flap during the 2015 NFC title game. We'll talk about it all next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.